Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Archives. I'm your host for the evening, Philip Clark. A lot has been happening behind the scenes lately. For example, since our last episode, we have more than doubled the number of platforms on which you can find our show. Already, we have seen a dramatic increase in the number of downloads we are getting. That being said, if you are new to the program, we would like to officially welcome you. Please be sure to follow, message, like, and rate us wherever you find our podcast. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hidden Archives Podcast and on Twitter at Podcast Hidden. The only way to have a friend is to be one. This seems oddly fitting considering the story you are about to hear. And just like Ralph Waldo Emerson was a friend to me in providing tonight's quote, so shall I be a friend to you in providing the following caution. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content will follow. This is your warning. What is it to be content? How do you frame success? Well, some people use the company they keep as their measuring rod for such things. Of course, this requires genuine companionship. It requires honesty. And it means not holding back when it comes to the important issues. So take charge. Be the master of your own destiny. But also remember your companions and consider this. You're in it together. You might have to rise to the occasion. You might have to be their surrogate. Ryan Jenkins is my best friend. Has been for as long as I can remember. Really, he's closer to me than a brother. But lately we've discovered some troubling things about our relationship, about our past. I'm not really sure what to make of it. I'm honestly still processing it. Hopefully getting this all down and writing will help. So, shit, here goes. I wish I knew where to begin with this, but like a lot of very complicated things, I can't just start at the beginning. I'll get there. I will tell you how it started. But I don't think that part goes here. What does go here, though? Would it make things make more sense if I started with my history, Ryan's, or something else? I'm just so confused. It's kind of like being in the liminal space where... Either through success or failure, you might find yourself asking, How did I get here? What got me to this point? 
When one asks themselves this question, usually, you can just retrace your steps. You can find that essential moment, the catalyst, that led you along your path. Tracing the progress might take time, but there are always events that stick out. Like the first sale for a business person that has become highly successful. Or the first drink for an alcoholic. But that's not how it happened for me and Ryan. It's not like we were on autopilot or anything either. At least, not for him. For me, however, well, there was one thing. And I just really learned the details about it last week. Since spring started, I've been trying to get some things done in my personal life. Nothing really serious, basically just chores and stuff. Ryan's been helping me out, as you might expect. We're roommates, after all. So we'd been cleaning, fixing, and repairing stuff around the house for days. This has meant a lot of physical labor, dust in the air, and harsh chemicals being sprayed around and inhaled. Not the least of which have been automotive-related. This is important because I believe these are all pieces of the puzzle, the catalyst, that assembled in such a way as to come to a head last week. These are the things that now have me writing all this down because of a conversation we stumbled into. We had just finished most of the work in the house, but still had enough ambition to tackle yet another project. As it happens, I have this old project car. It's a 97 Porsche Boxster. I've spent the last several years getting it running right, so it finally came down to getting it looking good. Considering this, and the fact that I had finally gotten the garage where I keep it nice and clean, I decided to start the painting process. If you know anything about painting a car, two things will probably come to mind pretty quick. First, you want a clean environment as you don't want any dirt or dust floating around that can mess up the gloss and shine. Second, paint fumes are toxic, so you need fresh air. Well, for a hobbyist, you can usually only manage one of these at a time, unless you want to spend a bunch of money on protective equipment and ventilation. While we decided that with two of us, Ryan and myself, we could kind of just tag-team the painting process in the closed garage. You know, he paints some, I do some, then we rotate out to get fresh air. And what better time to go for a switch than when you start getting lightheaded? By which I mean high, of course. So we're going like this for a while, probably two hours total, before we both decided to have an extended break where neither of us was actively painting. I was already on break when Ryan comes out of the garage, walks to the kitchen, grabs a six-pack from the fridge, and walks over to join me on the patio. He handed me a beer, took a seat in a folding chair next to mine, and just leaned back kind of rubbing his temples with his eyes closed for a few minutes. I had asked him if he was ready to be done for the night, and he kind of just shrugged. Then he said that all the paint fumes were getting to him, as well as the cleaning solvents and dust from the week leading up to this point. 
I admitted that I was feeling the same. But it seemed like something else was bothering him too. So I asked him about this. I knew I shouldn't have pressed the issue, but I wasn't in the right state of mind to exercise restraint in the matter. Neither was Ryan, clearly, as he told me that everything in the past week or so had stirred up some things in his mind. Things that he had apparently been wanting to share with me when the time was right. And what better time than now? He asked me what I remembered of my childhood. What was there to remember? I had a good upbringing. I was actually quite privileged. Not that this had much of an effect on things, though. I went to school. I played outside in summer. I enjoyed movie marathons on snow days. Just normal shit. Then he asked me what I remembered about my high school days. Again, there was nothing here to note, really. I flew under the radar for the most part, didn't play any sports other than swimming, made honor roll once or twice, and graduated in the middle of my class. How about my college days, he asked. Well, I studied business, lived most of my life in the library rather than a frat house or dorm, and graduated with a bachelor's after five years in school. I'll be honest, though. This was really all I could recall about college. It should have been a red flag at the time, had I had my wits about me. But it didn't stand out. It didn't stand out that nothing stood out about my life at all. I actually made the joke at this point that he had succeeded in illustrating that I had lived the most mediocre life in the history of the world. But then his questions got... specific. He asked what my mother did during those snow day movie marathons. What did my mother do? Well, of course she... She what? Did she make me hot chocolate? Did she turn on my favorite movie? Did she bring me a warm blanket fresh from the dryer smelling of lavender fabric softener? I remember these things, but I don't remember her at all. I don't remember her at all because, as Ryan told me, my mother had died of cancer when I was seven, a week after I met Ryan. Then Ryan asked me about those summer days. Had I ever broken my arm climbing a tree, gotten a fishing hook caught in my thumb down by the creek? or scrape my knees falling off my bike on the gravel driveway. Well, sure, I climbed trees, went fishing in the creek, and rode my bike everywhere. Like I said, normal childhood. I don't have scars on my knees or aches in my bones, but Ryan does. He showed me a big round scar on the pad of his thumb where his fingerprint had been cracked and misshapen from a fishing hook. He also asked me what year my sister graduated high school. Well, this one was just simple math, I told him. She was two years behind me, so she must have graduated two years after me while I was in college. Funny, though. 
You would think I would have made time to come back for her graduation. But again, all I could remember was studying in the library. He told me I'd be unlikely to remember her graduating because she didn't. She had died in a car crash during my first semester in college. That's why I spent five years getting a four-year degree. I had to go back home and make arrangements for the funerals and to settle the estate. Could I have done that from the library? But he asked about that. Why was the rest of college so unremarkable that all I could remember was the library? I've known Ryan since we were seven. Was he in any of my classes? Did we hang out at the local pool hall or pizza joint? Well, we must have, right? No. But he was there. I, I felt him there. And why did I say funerals? As in plural, as in multiple. Because there were two of them that year. My sister and her friend. Her friend that she met the same summer I met Ryan. But were Ryan and my sister's friend also siblings? And we lived on an estate out in the country where our house was the only one around for miles. Where the hell did Ryan live? Well, that one was easy according to Ryan. He and my sister's friend lived with us. This I did remember. What never occurred to me, though, is how very strange this was. Both me and my sister, who I happened to have forgotten along with our mother, had friends that lived in our house. My father must have been a very easygoing man to allow such a thing, right? Well, since he's the one that commissioned it, I guess so. But what do I mean by that? That my father was the one who invited two strange parentless children to be living friends for his own children. And speaking of my father, where is he now? According to Ryan, he's dead too. Shot himself when my sister died in the car crash with her friend. The friend that we grew up with. That's why I had to come home to settle the estate. Me and Ryan are the only two left from my whole family. It's amazing that we are as well-adjusted as we are, especially since this is the trauma that Ryan has had to deal with his whole life. But that's just the thing. This is all my trauma, and I haven't had to deal with any of it because Ryan does that for me. I just get to deal with the logistics, then I pick up and move on. Because I don't have to deal with it, I will often forget about it. All of this trauma, the physical, emotional, and spiritual shit, is of no more consequence to me than a mosquito bite or a hangnail. All thanks to Ryan and others like him. Ryan looks a lot like me. Like, a lot like me. My sister's friend was a spitting image of her, too. That's because they're clones. Well, 
They're actually called physiological emotional surrogates, or PEZ people for short. PEZ people are cloned from their original host, then programmed to pick up and deal with the physical and emotional stresses of the people they surrogate. They're actually pretty popular for CEOs and politicians. Usually not for children, though. However, when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, I guess my dad decided this would be the easiest way for my sister and myself to deal. However, the Pez person only works for their clone host, and my dad decided that three clones would be too much to afford. So he went without one, choosing to deal with my mother's passing on his own. I think what made it easier for him was the fact that the clones came as a package deal, where everyone in the immediate family of the cloned individuals also gets to download to the cloud when they die. I think this was my dad's plan all along. He got the clones for my sister and myself, then had my mother uploaded to the cloud, and I think he planned to join her when his time came. Of course, the upload really hinges on being able to make it to the Dynacorp data center before you die. Since my sister died in the crash, she didn't make it. And since her Pez person died with her, there was no chance for a backup. My father must have been unable to deal with this, the fact that his plan and backup plan failed. So he killed himself, rather than have an incomplete family for eternity. But he knew that I had Ryan to help me deal, and when my time comes, me and Ryan will be uploaded to the cloud together, and blended into one consciousness, with all of our trauma having been resolved before that point. Of course, I knew all of this. Somewhere deep inside, I was fully aware. But because it was of so little consequence to me, I kind of forgot until Ryan brought it back up. And I'm so very grateful he did because even though I have moved past my traumas, I still think it is important to remember them. This is how we prevent similar traumas from occurring in the future. And this is why Ryan Jenkins is my best friend. That story really begs the question, how would you feel about being roommates with someone who is essentially you? Personally, I don't see such a thing really working out for me. Once again, everyone at the Hidden Archives would like to welcome all of our new listeners. And if you have been with us for a while, we want you to know that you have made all of this possible. The next episode should be posted in two to three weeks. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. 
We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex Animo, Ex Tempus, and Archivum. <laughs>